Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. America, Ed, Ken, Pat, at ease, mates. All right, it's Thursday. The day before Friday, or as Jason likes to call it, the day before the buy one, get one free double fish sandwich at McDonald's. Hey man, listen here, we got a great show planned for you today. First of all, coming into the studio, we got the only brother that's still happy to be from Idaho, and I'm talking about Dave Shannon. Now Dave ain't been on the show in a while. If you remember, Dave came on the show previously and told Jason that God said that those people have to die. Well, Homeland Security has proved him to come back with us and he's back to talk to Jason about his fire starter. Also talk to him about his appearance on Tucker Carlson last night, as well as my appearance on Tucker Carlson last night. Uh, we're gonna can't wait to hear what's going on with that. And we'll see how many times we hear Uncle Jimmy's name dropped and about how he made that event possible for Jason last night. Also joining us, we got that guy. You ever had that friend that you told, hey man, stop by anytime you want to. And they take you up on it? Well, he's back again. In case you've never heard this phrase, R-H-I-P, race has its privileges. So I guess since Tiger Woods is back in the news, he think he can come back again. Well, he's also gonna be here to talk about some NFL. And of course, I'm talking about my guy. You know, I'm talking about Steve Kim. Hey man, he's gonna be here to talk to Jason. We love him, it's gonna be great. Peoples, you know what time it is. It's time to release them. It's time to click them. And of course, I'm talking about releasing the doves, releasing the hounds. I'm talking about hit the like button. I'm not gonna ask for two dilly dillies. I want you to take one of them dillies and turn them into a five star for Jason. So here he is, the man that may be rich, but he'll never be able to pay what he weighs. Give it up to the human meat box, Jason Whitlock. Uh, yeah, Jim, good job. Uh, I actually enjoyed that. And Jim is right. I was on Tucker Carlson last night because of Jim. Uh, Jim's little infomercial uh, was a big hit around these internets and also Tucker Carlson wanted to talk about it. Uh, but Tucker and I had a very interesting conversation that Mediaite, there's a website called Mediaite.com that kind of tracks the media. And, and they wrote a story uh, capturing some of the more interesting things I said. Of course, Mediaite is left-leaning and, and you know, a liberal and doesn't like people like me, and so they put a very negative spin. Uh, Jason Whitlock says being transgender is part of satanic philosophy of unhealthy desires, like marrying a cat. 
It's not inaccurate, uh, and so, but here's what the story says. Jason Whitlock donned his tinfoil hat on Wednesday night and claimed global elites are using criminals and mentally unstable people to destroy the United States and rewrite the Constitution. In doing so, he also lumped transgender people in with the individuals who want to marry cats. He called these unhealthy desires. Uh, then they go on there as a coalition This quoting me. There's a coalition that has been built of criminals, the mentally unstable and just bitter people. Look, it's what we basically pointed out in Jim's infomercial that we played the past two days and we'll play it at some point during today's show. But we sarcastically and humorously pointed out that the left, the global elites are through bail reform, through this soft on crime, through defund the police, they're empowering a criminal element to create chaos and anarchy around the United States. And they want chaos and anarchy around the United States so that they can at some point argue, see, this country's a failure. There's so much racial division, there's so much tension, everybody hates each other. This whole thing, it was inevitable. Yeah, it was, it was a nice 200 year run, but it, it had to end this way because this is what America has really always been. What you're seeing now pouring out in our major cities, the crime, the violence, uh, the anarchy, the burning, the looting, the, the smashing grabs, this was all inevitable because the people who wrote the Constitution were horribly flawed and racist people, and they wrote a bad Constitution. And so we need a brand new one. And so you can call that a tinfoil hat. I call it facts. I call it a reading of the facts, an interpretation of the facts. Why else are we letting common criminals in and out of jail? Why else would Kyle Rittenhouse go to Kenosha and the three people he had major conflict who were all participating in the Black Lives Matter rally, why else all three of them with criminal records? Two of them with major criminal records, one of them a pedophile, multiple pedophile, anally raping young boys between ages nine and 11. But somehow he's involved with the BLM protest and riots. And the other guy, uh, you're not, fooling anyone at this point. From Antifa to Black Lives Matter to all these protests and rallies, they're filled with criminals and the mentally unstable. They're filled with people with purple and pink hair who are mad as hell, who, who don't like their lives, who, I mean, that's why they can't stand this Andy No uh, on, on Twitter because he keeps highlighting the people that are consistently getting arrested at these Antifa uh, protests and rallies and the people that are consistently doing the violence around the country. They're multiple time criminals, habitual criminals. This is not, and this is what, the whole left was paying bail. If you go out and riot and loot during the summer of 2020, LeBron James and Kamala Harris were raising money to get you out of prison. So nothing I argued last night on Tucker Carlson 
is a tinfoil hat. It's no conspiracy theory. It's the facts. From Kamala Harris to LeBron James, on, that's the vice president of the United States. To LeBron James, the, the most prominent athlete in America, out raising bail for rioters, for rioters and looters, for career criminals. But, but I got a tinfoil hat on because I can see where this is going. This is paid anarchy so that the corporate media people can go on and make their arguments and sit on uh, Joy Reid, Rachel Maddow show and talk about how America's a failure and all the, the, uh, the rioting and the looting and all of that. that that's, that's, that's the voice of the unheard. That's how the unheard speak. And it's actually uh, white supremacy's fault that they're looting and rioting these stores. If America wasn't dominated by white supremacy, they would be teaching Sunday school rather than looting and rioting. So I called that out. And then in the second part of the interview, I, I said the thing that really pissed them off. Uh, and so I think we have that clip and we're going to play. Here I am on Tucker Carlson last night with the real point I made that really pissed them off. Well, I, I, you can't legalize and normalize every human desire without removing God. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you believe you're flawed and that Jesus died for your sins. And you believe that by embracing Christianity, you can start to tame your unhealthy desires, things that don't lead to success, things that don't promote good things for you and society as a whole. You gotta remove the Christianity in order for people to just give in and normalize whatever desire you have. If you wanna marry a cat, if you think you're, you, were, you were born a biological man, but you're really a woman, if you think you're a dog, it, it, whatever your desire, they wanna normalize. It's a do what thou wilt, it's a satanic philosophy. You have to remove Christianity to impose and install that. It, uh, it's classic Marxism. Karl Marx is yeah. just sitting around applauding the work that's being done right here in this country. That's what I said. That's what pissed off Mediaite. Uh, Mediaite in, in their next thing, for the record, this is what they wrote after quoting me saying all that. Karl Marx died in 1883. And so there's two different ways to interpret that. I interpret it as like, oh, they think I'm stupid and don't know that Karl Marx has been dead for more than 100 years. That's one way to interpret it, but which I do. I was speaking hypothetically or, you know, anyway, metaphysical. Royce White called me this morning and gave me a different interpretation that I can't figure out who's right and who's wrong. He says they put it in because they're basic, they're, uh, atheist website and they're basically saying there is no afterlife so why would you say that Karl Marx is in hell clapping or you know they may in heaven clapping or somewhere in the afterlife enjoying the fruits of his labor because we are living in the time of the fruits of his labor here in America his Marxist political ideology 
is overtaking and overrunning America. We, we can, we're seeing it play out. And so I, I don't know, or were they trying to mock me and say this idiot doesn't know Karl Marx is dead? Or as Royce White interpreted, are they basically saying, hey, there is no afterlife, so don't, don't uh, act like Karl Marx is anywhere enjoying the chaos that he created, whatever. I want to be crystal clear, and I, I was amazed. Sometimes I get on Tucker Carlson or some of these other shows where you're talking in real small windows and in real small sound bites, and, and you wonder if you make your argument completely. And so going back and reading their transcript and then rehearing what I had to say, I actually did a good job of explaining exactly what I think, that this whole leftist thing, this whole Marxist thing, this, it's all attached to Satanism. That this whole do what thou wilt mentality and, and give in to every desire, that is satanic. And so those of us that are believers, we believe what we've been told in the Bible is like, hey, lust and, and unhealthy desires are a part of our nature because of what went on between Adam and Eve in the garden. And that we embrace Christianity to try to combat our unhealthy desires. The Aleister Crowley, Karl Marx, satanic worldview is that no, give in to all of your desires, normalize all of your desires justify all of your desires. Anybody that questions any of your desires, if you are attracted to young people, to children, hey, that's your desire, you were born with it, we should legalize it, and I'll put my tinfoil hat on again. I've been telling friends and family for a good seven, eight years. In our lifetime, they're gonna legalize pedophilia. It's going to happen. And I'm just, look, and I've been crystal clear on this show that many of my desires and things that I gave into, promiscuous sex outside of a marriage, that's why I'm wearing my faith publicly because I'm trying to combat those desires that are unhealthy for me, don't lead <clears throat> to success, and so, that's one of the reasons why I'm leaning into my faith, because it helps me combat that desire. I don't see that desire any differently than people who have a same-sex desire. They need Jesus the same as I do to combat what I believe is an unhealthy desire. I don't want them vilified any more than me for my unhealthy desire of promiscuous sex with women. So again, the gay person, I don't see as any more sinful than me, and I know some people will disagree with that and, and think, oh, you know, it's an abomination and you know, it, it's worse. But I really don't play that game. I'm gonna let God do the judging on that. All I know is it's an unhealthy sexual desire. And so, I'm not sitting around trying to justify my unnatural desire. 
or unhealthy desire. Because it may be natural, but it's unhealthy. And so they are trying to justify and normalize all, all desires. And I'm just sorry. Particularly, for all I can speak to is what men, 75% of the stuff that runs through our head is unhealthy and needs to be combated. And faith does that. And so they have a, in my view, a satanic worldview. Just get, do what thou wilt. Just do it, like Nike says. Like Aleister Crowley says, do what thou wilt. It's satanic. I stand by that. And so th my little conversation last night on Tucker Carlson and their reaction to it takes me to something in the news today. Uh, Outkick uh, has published a story from a University of Pennsylvania swimmer who's on the same swim team with a transgender uh, swimmer now on the women's swim team at the University of Pennsylvania. And so Outkick, I think very responsibly, protects the name of this whistleblower, I'm gonna call her a whistleblower, who's upset and is representing the point of view of a lot of women on the U University of Pennsylvania swim team. They think it's unfair that Leah Thomas, who previously swam on the men's team, I think under uh, Will, Will Thomas. Previously, Will Thomas was on the University of Pennsylvania's men's swim team and was pretty good. He's now an Olympic level swimmer on the women's team. He's a threat to break world records in swimming while a member of the University of Pennsylvania swim team, Ivy League swim teams don't produce world-class swimmers. But lo and behold, the first transgender, the first man to come over and swim with the women, he might be an Olympian. He may break uh, Katie Ledecky and Missy Franklin's world records. He's very close. And if he gets anywhere close to the times he was swimming when he was a man, when Leah Thomas was a man, I'm gonna call him Leah, but it is him. Uh, and so th this is, when I talk about satanic, do what thou wilt, how is this fair? to the young women in the Ivy League, on the University of Pennsylvania swim team, on swimmers, female swimmers around the country that want to compete in the Olympics and somehow uh, after a year of taking hormones, this Leah Thomas can come jump on the women's swim team and be an Olympic level swimmer. This is insanity that we're allowing this, that this whole, whatever you feel, oh, I, I feel like a woman. Now I felt like a man for 20 years, and then I, or, or, oh, let's say you did it for 15 years, or I don't know, maybe you always felt like a woman, but you were perfectly fine, you were good enough to be on the men's swim team at the University of Pennsylvania, and now, hey, I feel like a woman, I'm gonna give in to that, and now I'm going to go compete against women because I feel like a man and I've taken hormones for a year. This is insanity. 
This is going to continue to create the kind of chaos and anarchy that they want so that they can argue America is a massive failure in need of a new constitution. I don't have a tinfoil hat on. My brain is just operating properly. Uh, Dave Shannon, we're going to bring in. And Dave, I want to unpack this a little bit slowly. I don't want to start with the swimmer deal. I, 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 okay. I want to start with just your reaction to the statements that I made on Tucker Carlson's show that this whole do with thou wilt, this justifying of every desire, giving in, normalizing, I see it as satanic. And the reason I chose to be a Christian is because I know I have some unhealthy desires that I need to combat. I've talked about on this show, gluttony. That's an unhealthy desire. One eat two or three Big Macs at a time. That's an unhealthy desire that has negative consequences. Right. And so you just can't give in to every desire or we'd all eat Big Macs 24, 24 times a day. And anyway, your your reaction to my position that, you know, this this whole do without will thing and, and given every desire is just satanic. Man, Jason, first of all, I got to tell you, <laughs> I was with my wife. We were in the bed watching on the tablet, you on Tucker. And I got to tell you, remember that scene in Rocky Four, I believe it was, with the uh, Russian and his dad starts winning and the kids are in the Christmas and they're watching it with their friends. They're like, yeah, get him. Go. That's me and my wife, man. We were watching you on Tucker. We were just like, get it. Go, Jason. Get it. So yeah, first of all, man, you were dead on. And just now you hit right at the core of this thing when you talked about the Garden of Eden. That's where this all really starts. This is absolutely satanic. And Jason, we should be able to hear the hiss. Now, thousands of years removed from the garden, that same hiss sounds the same as the serpent then who was lying to Eve, telling her that she could be like God. And what was she saying? She was saying, you can do what God does and you can define who it is you want to be. But God had already defined who Eve was, who Adam was, and the lie that that they believe that they could be like God and they can call those things that actually were not the way that God designed them to be something else. And this whole movement is doing that very thing. That's the exact same hiss that Adam heard in the garden that he did not protect Eve from. And, and that's really the core of this, too, is Adam needed to protect Eve from that hiss. And so this movement, this transgender movement, this whole satanic movement is trying to recreate something other than the original intent that God had designed for man. And Jason, it, it's a, it's part of a religious um, uh, design as well. So you have been recreated and the way every time there's sin, every time there's uh, some sort of breaking of God's law, there's always blood sacrifice required. And inside the same movement, they have a blood sacrifice too. They want you to cut off your genitalia. There is a blood sacrifice in this movement and and then the lie of the devil doesn't ever satisfy. There is a guilt that comes along with following false religion and false ideology. So these people feel guilty. They feel harmed. It doesn't fix the problem at the end of the day. And so they feel lost. And we should feel broken for them in that sense because they're believing these lies that they had to do this. They're believing the lie of the serpent. And so, Jason, the, the other lie that comes in after this, and this is the one that we're dealing with, is that the problem isn't you. 
The problem isn't you that you believe the lie. The problem is the rest of the world isn't designed in ordinance with this lie. And so what you have to do is not only recreate yourself, but you also have to get the world to be, be recreated as well. And so the process now from these people who are trying to cause chaos and the whole purpose, the reason behind this isn't necessarily the transgender stuff. The whole purpose and reason behind this, Jason, is to just destroy the serpent's intent and design wasn't to try and just make any kind of old world. It didn't matter so long as the world that God created, the foundations that God created were absolutely destroyed and shattered. And so the lie continues to go on and say, you have to make the world buy into these things. They got to make sure that you are treated like a woman if you're a man and you feel like that you're a woman. And so what you need to do now is, is put some sort of discipline on these people, mock these people, act like that they're wearing tinfoil hats, right? So that you can make the world after your lie. And that's the satanic part about this, Jason, is that the lie in the garden that the devil told to Eve that Adam didn't combat there, that left the world inside a, a, a trajectory that started falling, is the same lie that we're dealing with inside the transgender movement. And the whole point of it is to absolutely in every way destruct everything and anything that is normal that God has created. Dave, you really broadened my point in a way that was necessary because I tend to keep things just down to America. And because, yeah. you know, America is the global leader and, and, and I think if they can get America to fall, then you can get the world to fall. And, and that really is the agenda, a new world order, whether people want to acknowledge it or not. And you're exactly right. And, and so if we're going to live in a society that says, hey, uh, we've got the technology, we've got the science that we can reconstruct God's creations. We can cut off genitalia, we can make people new, and then if someone feels a certain way and we, we're gonna force society to treat them consistent with how they feel, then their argument is, if that's going to be the new standard, their argument will be correct that like, hey, the Constitution and things like that, they don't work for this world that we've created. This create where, where feelings, and if you don't agree with how you came out of the womb, if that becomes the law of the land, the standard of, of, of the world, and blah, blah, we will need a new constitution. And so that's why I love your point about like, hey man, Adam should have protected Eve from that hiss, and I, I, I think it was, it was either you or Delano that made the point that there's a reason why men need to be the gatekeepers because <clears throat> we're a bit more discriminating about who we let in. We don't want to be friends with everybody. It's not, we're not sitting around, going, oh God, I just hope everybody likes each other. And, but, and again, I'm not trying to diminish women. Their nature is necessary and good, but it needs to be complemented and led by man's nature, which is a bit more demanding, strict, harsh, like draw a line in the sand. Nah, we're not going for this. And so 
when I wrapping it all the way back around to the swimmer and about like what's man's role and why are we laying down? Leah Thomas, Will Thomas, whatever the name is, where's his father to say, hey, you're on the men's swim team at the University of Pennsylvania. I get that you feel like a woman, but we're going to leave it at this. You're going to swim for the men's team. You're not going to go run over here and be unfair to these other girls and women and go compete against them when you have a clear, clear advantage. His father, his creator, the seed that created him should step in here and say, nah, we ain't doing this. And and then make Leah, Will, whatever, uh, disobey his father, disappoint them, rather than go over here and cause chaos and anarchy on this University of Pennsylvania swim team. I, I just, I, I loved your points, and it, it just raises the question again about when are we as men going to say, hey, look, this insanity, enough is enough. Jason, um, I think that line actually came from Delano because it sounds super smart. So I'm guessing he's the one delivered that line. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, this goes again. The garden is so important. I keep telling people if you get Genesis from the first 11 chapters, you can understand everything that's operating in our world as it relates to politics, as it relates to social issues, as it relates to church issues. All of our problems are right there. And one of the things that you talked about on Tucker Carlson, Jason, that I was just, I I thought was dead on. And the only part I wanted to add to it was, this is absolutely a man problem. It's absolutely a man problem. When the Bible talks about the responsibility and roles as it relates to the church, it talks about that a man should be the one who is the leader, who is the pastor, because of the fact that man was made first. And it was the woman who was deceived in the garden. Remember, it was the serpent that went to Eve. He was doing that for a reason. It was intentional. Man has two responsibilities on planet Earth, Jason. One of those responsibilities is to guard, and the other one is to garden. And Adam failed with both of those. Eve was not gardening, taught, and and educated in such a way that she couldn't resist the serpent. And then when she did fall, he didn't protect her from the serpent. And that goes to two of your points as you talk about uh, the swimmer. Will, um, there's a couple of things I, I, I want to hit on this. It's so important for me. Uh, men, you talked about women and who they are in society, how valuable they are. We have no idea how valuable women are, which is why some men choose not to be men. They're, not, they're actually being punks because they don't understand how valuable a woman is. When we... Fathers are the ones who give their identities to their children. They're the ones who tell them about who they are. You are Shannon. You belong to me. We love God. We treat the world and the earth this particular type of way. We serve him. He loves us. He gave his son for us. And so we build into our daughters as fathers the identity that they need to understand their absolute worth in this world. Honey, you are not a man. You're something far more glorious than that. Your value and your beauty is something to be praised. And you will be a great CEO assistant with your husband, right? As he leads you in those things. But if fathers are not teaching their daughters their beauty and value and worth, it's no wonder why a man can come in and ramsack like a fox in a chicken house 
sports that they are in and not just sports, but everything. My son, I taught him to wrestle. We were wrestling, wrestle, <laughs> that's my Southern stuff, R- wrestling. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, they wanted to put girls in the same sports that he was in. They wanted girls to wrestle, not just in wrestling, but also in football. Um, some fathers want their daughters to play football with boys. And I'm saying, son, women are valuable. They're important. They're priced beyond comparison. We do not treat women like we treat men. We protect our women. We don't hit our women. We don't hog tie our women. We don't beat up on our women, son. They're valuable. And so what I begin to do with my son was say, if there's a girl that wants to wrestle, you voluntarily bow out because I want you maybe to be the first person that she experiences that has a value for her worth that you will not treat her like a man. And the same thing in football. We can't stop the game. I would love it if some of the teams were forfeit, but you don't get to tackle her because we don't treat women like that. The fact that we have created a culture where a man can get inside of a swimming pool and pound women. Jason, I don't know if you saw this. 30 seconds he won by. He had time to put his hands up, do a little dance and celebrate, crawl up out the pool while the person who should have been first place was just getting to the finish line. This was this was insulting in every way. But how my question is, how is it that man, not just his father, not just Will's father, but how is it that other man would not say not in my town, not with my daughter? And Jason, the reason is because they are not the ones who are protecting. They are acting just like Adam in the garden. They are not protecting their women. Baby, we ain't doing this. He don't belong here. He's not supposed to be doing this. No man is going to treat my daughter like that. No man is going to take advantage of my daughter and make her look disgraced like that. Her worth and her value is too much for this. And so I'm not so much disappointed with the Will situation. I am. I am. Get me that. I am. But I'm more concerned about where the rest of the man to say, no, man, we ain't doing this in this town. We ain't doing this. We ain't competing. We'll go start our own thing somewhere else if y'all going to act like this. Get me mad, Jason. Dave, I want (laughs) to pause for a very brief second. And I want to switch topics up and talk a little Jussie Smollett, but give me a few <laughs> minutes to tell you about a great documentary directed by a good friend of mine, Judd Saul, uh, Enemies Within the Church. They've delivered a powerful film for every Christian to see. Enemies Within the Church is a movie that will expose all that is wrong within Christianity today. So many people in the church have damaged it by allowing bad ideologies to grow, and this film exposes it all. There are powerful forces within the evangelical community that do not want you to see this. Enemies Within the Church will truly show everyone who the bad actors within the community are and how money has helped spread these subversive ideologies within the church today. Every Christian and patriot needs to see this film and then share it with everyone that you know. I encourage you to go buy the DVD or purchase the pay-per-view streaming at enemieswithinthechurch.com. That's enemieswithinthechurch.com. Dave, uh, I'm circling back to you. I want to switch up to Jussie Smollett. Uh. I'm going to read to you the statement that Black Lives Matter put out And I find this statement very, very fascinating and interesting. I'm going to read the entire statement. I think we'll show uh, a very important excerpt of it on on screen, but I'm going to read the entire statement. As abolitionists, we approach situations of injustice with love and align ourselves with our community because we got us. 
So let's mm. be clear, we love everybody in our community. It's not about a trial or verdict decided in a white supremacist charade. It's about how we treat our community when, when corrupt systems are working to devalue their lives. In an abolitionist society, this trial would not be taking place and our communities would not have to fight and suffer to prove our worth. Instead, we find ourselves once again being forced to put our lives and our value in the hands of judges and juries operating in a system that is designed to oppress us while continuing to face a corrupt and violent police department which has proven time and again to have no respect for our lives. In our commitment to abolition, we can never believe police, especially the Chicago Police Department, over Jussie Smollett, a black man who has been courageously present, visible, and vocal in the struggle for black freedom. While policing at large is an irredeemable institution, CPD is notorious for its long and deep history of corruption, racism, and brutality, from the murders of Fred Hampton and Mark Clark, to the Burgess tortures, to the murder of Laquan McDonald, and subsequent cover-up, to the hundreds of others killed by Chicago police over the years and thousands who survived abuse. Chicago police consistently demonstrate that they are among the worst. Police lie and Chicago police lie especially. Black Lives Matter will continue to work towards the abolition of police in every unjust system. We will continue to love and protect one another and wrap our arms around those who do the work to usher in black freedom and by extension freedom of everyone else. Here's what I really find fascinating. I, the, the choice of the word abolition Yep. You know, which was a word cr basically created about slavery. Uh, and, and so they use the word abolition in here five times. And then I, I just find in our commitment to abolition, we can never believe police, especially the Chicago Police Department, over Jussie Smollett, a black man who has been courageously present, visible, and vocal in the struggle for black freedom. So you're abolitionist. And at the end, you say you're fighting for the abolition of the police. I don't really believe that that's their true, true agenda. The mm. abolition that they're really looking for is th they want to abolish anybody and any thinking that says homosexuality is wrong. That's mm -hmm. their true agenda. It's not about, and this whole thing about Jussie Small, a black man who has been courageously present, visible, and vocal in the struggle for black freedom. When? How? What? what? Jussie Smollett, other than this hoax that he tried to pull off, where he tried to say he was targeted as a black man, but he mostly was tar he's targeted as a gay man. Mm -hmm. They are rallying around his sexual identity. This is, and they're masking it as, hey, we're fighting for black freedom. Black people are free. We were emancipated in 1864, uh, and in 1964, 100 years later, uh, they passed the Civil Rights Act that granted us the rest of our freedoms. And uh, whether we like it or not, or want to admit it or not, but since the passing of that Civil Rights Act, we've been free to do what we want and what we're uh, allowed as taxpayers to do. H have there been individuals that push against that? Absolutely. 
Uh, but there, there have been really no laws on the book inhibiting our freedom since 1964. Have there been lawbreakers in positions of power that perhaps have tried to break those laws that inhibit our freedom? Yes, but I'm just sorry. Black people are free and they know it. What they don't feel, they don't feel gay people are free. And they're in the process, again, it's like, it's almost like they've been emancipated and now they're in their 100 year war for freedom. Because again, we were emancipated in 1864, but we didn't get the Civil Rights Act until 1964, or, yeah, 1964 that fully gave us our freedom, took laws off the books and created a culture where we're completely free. They are, this is, has nothing to do with black freedom. The wording in this, this whole thing, we love everybody in our community. What they're saying is we love everybody in the LGBTQ community. And so th they won't even come out and say what this is really about. It's about his sexual identity. This is not about his black skin. This is why I can't stand Black Lives Matters. It's a covert operation. It's the LGBT movement masked as a movement for black men. They're frauds. I don't need to say anything, Jace. You didn't say it at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, there's a couple of things. I, I'm still laughing at media. I talking about the fact in my head, I'm thinking about the fact that they were making fun of you, uh, considering merging the idea between homosexuals and or transgendered against cats. They don't know the difference anyway between a cat and a human being with the pronouns they, them, and whatever else they want to add to it. And that goes right inside with this. It's amazing that they use that word abolition, Jason. I mean, you would think with the amount of dead babies that are dying in the safest place in America, supposed to be anyway, in the wombs, they would think that that would be a reason to be abolitionist for pro-life. But if you ran up the body count between the Chicago PD and the black people that they kill, let's just say they're absolute horrible racists in Chicago, the police, even though they have a, back, a black police chief, by the way. But let's just say they, they are. And, and, and let's run up. And mayor, yeah. And, and let's say you run up the count on the black dead bodies that just the police are killed, not the black on black gang violence and all that stuff that's happening there. I'll give you those. But just the police department don't even come close to the amount of abortions that black women are having and killing their own children. How in, even a, a slave master would have to say, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, so even the fact that we're doing that to ourselves, I mean, I don't know how they can consider themselves in any way abolitionists. They just is unheard of. But Jason, I, I want to disagree just a quibble with you just a little bit. It's not only, I would say, about the black issue. It is both about the black issue and the police and the homosexuality. There's a book that was written by two professors. Can't remember their names right now, but it's called After the Ball. And that book told you what their plan was to how to, at the time it was written in the 90s, the big problem was uh, HIV and AIDS, and it was ruining the gay community. And they had to come up with a strategy in order to be able to save face and be able to move politically and socially homosexuals into the light and to be able to have more power. And they came up with this plan called Desensitize, Jam, and Convert. And Vody Bauckham talks about this in Gay is Not the New Black. Desensitize is basically propaganda, everything. 
The idea is just a propaganda everything. Everywhere you go, you see a homosexual. Everywhere you go, that homosexual's good. He's nice. He's kind. He's the best friend to women, right? You hear that hiss again? So it's to, it's to desensitize you that you see it in every show. You can't turn on a TV show nowadays and get out the first segment without somebody being gay. So it's to desensitize. It's to propaganda it everywhere. Homosexuality everywhere. Everything we see in kids stuff, in your schools. The next part is to jam you. That jamming part is to take the things that you're not supposed to um, culturally, you're not supposed to be against like black people. It's wrong to limit them. It's wrong to be anti-black, right? And so you couple those two things together. You take homosexuality and the jamming part, the desensitizing and the jamming part, you merge those two. And the jamming does, it takes the homosexual and puts it with the black person so that if you don't like homosexuality, you, you kind of have to like the black person. And if you push against the black person, then you're pushing against the homosexuality. And so you can't do that. You're jammed up. And so you have to embrace both of those. The last part, Jason, is conversion. They want to make sure that you not only, and this is, goes back to Romans 1, you not only approve of those things, but you actually celebrate them. You actually might be gay yourself. Your, your heterosexuality is violence. You are a heterosexual supremacist. <laughs> you know, the whole idea is to use the police, use the black issue to pick at, to get underneath, to lift so that they can continue to get at the very thing they want to get at. Jason, we don't know this, but it's very true. The civil rights movement was, I believe, hijacked by the homosexual movement. Martin Luther King had two gay speechwriters. And one of them that I know for sure wanted to bring up this issue and deal with it then inside of the civil rights movement, but he knew that they didn't have the equity and the culture to be able to do it. And so he wrote for Martin Luther King, hoping one day to be able to cash in. And his, his supposed lover even talked about this in some articles, to be able to cash in someday those chips. Jason, that day is here. You are absolutely right. They are using those things, though. The police, because they're the ones guarding and protecting, right? So they got to get the law. They want to flip that over because they're trying to cash in their chips from when they were a part of helping move the civil rights movement. I'm going to give you, you, you created a perfect segue for me to make the one other point I wanted to make about this BLM statement. The Black Panther Party filled with homosexuality. Mm. And all of these guys, Huey Newton, I believe was the one, it was Huey Newton and Bobby Seale, and I believe Huey Newton was the one who, it was either one or the other, I'm pretty sure it was Huey Newton, used to anally violate Bobby Seale mm. and other Sodomy. members of the Black Panther Party. And it was a way of control, emasculating, dominance, blah, blah, blah. But the homosexual agenda a major part of the Black Panther Party. And that's why now, 30, 40, 50 years after the Black Panther Party, everybody in the Black Panther Party is now an icon and celebrated. And people look, oh, they were part of the Black Panther movement, and blah, blah, blah. The, the Black Panther Party, if you really do the research, homosexuality and pimps and hoes, it, it, that's what it was. They were pimping young black women. Uh, the men were, were pimping these young black women. And, and it, it was sexual perversion and drugs and guns and violence. And so this whole thing with 
their, their reference of Fred Hampton because he's an icon and you know he's the 20, 21 year old chairman of the Black Panther Party in Chicago who was killed December the 4th and, and again because they've so recreated history and so distorted history People don't even know the truth about Fred Hampton and Mark Clark. They don't know the truth about the Chicago Black Panther Party. I, I, I earlier this year when that movie Judas and the Black Messiah came out, you know, basically calling Fred Hampton the Messiah and he was sold out. And I, I did the research on in the summer of 69 because he was killed. Fred Hampton was, I believe, in Dece on December 4th, 1969. Well, in the lead up during the summer and in November, the Black Panther Party in Chicago had two different shootouts with the police department in Chicago. And I believe in those two different shootouts, three police officers, one of the shootouts was in July, the other was in November, three police officers were killed and 10 to 12 other police officers were injured during those shootouts. During those two shootouts, one Black Panther member was killed, and I believe two to three others were either beaten up or injured after the fact. But, but the scoreboard was very one-sided. The, the Black Panther Party was killing police officers and injuring them in shootouts. The Black Panther Party was using semi-automatic weapons. The police were using revolvers. They were just outgunned. And so on December the 4th, and I'm just sorry, any man that gets in a fight uh, and, and loses twice in a row, gets killed. The, the police did kill Fred Hampton, but they did it because he and the Black Panther Party had killed a bunch of police in the months leading up to that. And I, I, I just, it's just not that shocking. He was not some, he was a willing participant in a war against the police and he ended up personally losing that war. And so they've just so recreated history. And you're yeah. right, the civil rights movement, the Black Panther movement, all of that radicalism. At some point, the, the LGBT movement became synonymous, embedded in, influential within those movements. And now here we are 40, 50, 60 years later, and they're all being recast as these heroes and that's why uh what's the guy's name that they love and this goes back in james baldwin yeah one acts like james baldwin is one of the greatest writers of all time and blah blah, blah. get out of here it's, <laughs> it's because of his sexual identity that we want to run around and pretend like uh you know he's mark twain or hell even alex haley or anything like, he wasn't he just because it's now in vogue and because now there's this incredible virtue and because the other thing you said about the, 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 whoever the homosexual is in Hollywood, in these scripts and movies, they're always the hero. They're always very virtuous. And, and again, I don't have hostility towards the LGBT community. I think they're just as flawed as me. So let's quit casting them in every movie, every commercial, as if they have every virtue and they're akin to Jesus. This is intentional and it's wrong. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna let you have the last word if you have one, if not, I'm gonna let you go. No, Jason, there's just one thing I wanna say about this. When you think about the, the theories that we're dealing with right now, when you think about uh, post-colonial theory, when you think about uh, critical theory, 
and you understand queer theory, all of these are rooted in postmodernism. And so regardless, whether it's the Black Panther Party, whether it's Black Lives Matter, if the whole left, AOC, all of them, um, all their goal is to do is to pick at things that are true. You got to remember, postmodernism doesn't un- have a, a foundation of truth at all. It it doesn't even really have a true definition at the end of the day because it wants to be malleable. It wants to be like trying to nail jello to the wall. The only thing that these things are here for, Jason, and this is what you pointed to when you were on Tucker, this is what you've been saying the whole time really with your show, is that they are here to completely destroy everything that is normative, everything that is Christian. America is a target because America has put in the foundations of normacy. In the world, the reason we're not blessed for just some odd reason, Jason, we're blessed because of the way that we've obeyed God in our nation and understood some of the basic foundations of human life. And when the world didn't, regardless of slavery, we self-corrected. There's a reason why we self-corrected because we weren't living true to those principles. And so it's a great thing to be a part of a system that can self-correct. And the thing is, we're not done correcting. We're still correcting so long as we keep those principles about loving God, honoring God, and treating those things that God says are valuable, valuable. And then like you said earlier with, with sanctification, we're being sanctified. Jason, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But because of the blood of Jesus and believing in him, we are being made perfect. And one last thing on the Jesse Smollett stuff, uh, Juicy Smollett. Uh, they say this white charade business is hilarious to me. They talk about this white charade happening with this court hearing. Jason, the people who are testifying against Jesse are black. Two black brothers who are testifying against him. The police chief, black. He didn't believe the whole thing when it happened in the beginning anyway. Where is the right charade at, Jason? This goes back to the postmodernism. They don't care about truth. They don't care about facts. The only thing they want to do is make sure they can destroy just like the serpent in the garden. Thank you, Dave. Great job. Uh, I need to tell you guys about blazesocks.com. It's that special time of the year, folks, that time of the year where you get the special people around you gifts to show your appreciation and gifts that are fun. If you're looking for a fun gift, kids, friends, maybe your husband, maybe your wife, you don't want to give them something plain and boring. I can remember when I was a kid, I'd get these socks from my grandmother and I love socks. I need socks, but I want fun socks. And Blaze has some Let's Go Brandon socks that are absolutely fun and hilarious. They're a gift that won't be forgotten when someone that you love, someone that you care about, someone who shares your worldview gets some Let's Go Brandon socks, they're gonna remember and talk about who gave them to them. So this is a memorable gift. All you have to do is go to blazesocks.com Uh, and order your Blaze socks, your Let's Go Brandon socks, for a very Merry Christmas and a very special Christmas gift. These gifts are all 100% American made. They're soft and cozy. It's not, they just don't make a political statement. They're actually good for your feet. They support American workers and American business. Go to blazesocks.com, get your Let's Go Brandon socks, and wish someone a very Merry Christmas that they will not forget. 
Are you miserable? Haven't been on a date in years? Are you still upset that the cool kids bullied you in junior high school? Mixed race and yearning for the street cred of the homies? Or maybe you're just an angry, radicalized woman who lacks the skills and allure that Kamala Harris used to attract a Willie Brown. Hi, my name is Dr. Van Jones. I am the head of DIE for the Alphabet Mafia. D-I-E stands for Diversity, Inclusion, and Equity. Die. Does that sound fun? If you're bitter about your life, you're mad about the way God made you, and you're a total loser, then you are a prime candidate to become a made man or made woman in the Alphabet Mafia. You want to know more about us? We're a for-profit coalition of organizations funded by George Soros. We're Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ, and critical race theory, all rolled into one. We burn and loot cities, we redefine marriage, and we're also in the process of redefining and expanding gender identities. If you have a writing flair, you would be a good fit at the New York Times. We're rewriting history, and we're helping Americans understand that this country is a massive failure. Do you have a violent criminal history? Maybe you've done time in prison for pedophilia. Great. Maybe even some domestic violence. And you can't find the right job in corporate America? No problem. At DIE, you're a perfect candidate to loot, burn, and terrorize black communities. You could be the next Joseph Rodenbaum. So don't miss your chance to kill America. Call us right now at 1-800-555-MARA. That's 1-800-555. Let's all make America racist again. All right, welcome back. Time for the Korean co-sell. Steve Kim, uh, let's talk some sports, and we'll kind of segue a bit off of what I was just talking with Dave Shannon about, the University of Pennsylvania swimmer, mm-hmm. uh, Leah Thomas. Um, he's on the women's swim team now after a year of taking hormones, and he's, he's a threat to break all kinds of world records. He's certainly clowning the Ivy League competition he's he's facing. Uh, Steve, I, I, I know you got to listen to a part of me and Dave's conversation. What, what's, what's your take on transgender swimmers and this guy potentially smashing all the women's world records? A couple of thoughts there, but first and foremost, I want to give you a slow 80s clap, you and Jimmy. That, that infomercial is going to go into the Mount Rushmore, right upside the Snuggie, of course, the Ginsu. You know I love the Ginsu, and the George Foreman yeah. Grill. You guys knocked it out of the park. couple of things. Number one about that guy or girl, she's certainly not Aretha Franklin because she will never feel like a natural woman. And that's the point that I want to make here that I really thought of, is that Megan Rapinoe, got on stage about equity in sports and and fair play and fair pay. And she made a statement. She said, 
I'm a woman athlete and I can do everything a man or a male athlete can do. It's proven that you can't. Uh, that 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 is demonstrably false. We have to be honest about it, and it's okay. Males and females have different physical makeups. Their genetics are different. And as much as I don't follow women's sports, I don't expect them to. I believe they have a right to compete. They have a right for college scholarships. The Title IX protects their right, and that's very well good. That's fine. I've never had an issue with it. I won't watch it, but I certainly will fight for their right to have an equal playing field and to compete and get whatever they can out of athletics. But here's a question that I have. Where is the mainstream media in all this that always champions women's sports? I was listening to you and Dave Shannon. Great segment, by the way. And it got me to think, okay, where are the women advocating for themselves to say, wait a minute, this is not right. This is not just. This is not what sports should be. Um, So I went to ESPNW, which is a website on ESPN that is specifically catered to covering female sports. I can honestly say I've never been on that site before. I may never be on that site again. So I said, okay, is anyone going to even touch this subject and bring it up this, bring it up this point? Uh, there's something very wrong with this, and maybe there should at least be a discussion. Jason, not a single word about it. And But you know what? This is what they asked for. This is what you're getting. Yeah, I, I think that most people are scared, and this goes to – the power of social media, the power of the alphabet mafia, the power of the culture that has overtaken America, that people are afraid to say what they truly believe. People are afraid to stick to the facts. And so this, and I'll give OutKick, I think Joe Kinsey wrote the story for OutKick, I'll give him a lot of credit for granting this Pennsylvania women swimmer anonymity because she's afraid that she may not be able to get a job when her swimming career is done or when she graduates from the University of Pennsylvania. If she does say something, you would be an outcast. You you couldn't, you might be unhirable or or you'd certainly limit your workplaces. She could certainly work here at The Blaze and for (laughs) Fearless, but ESPN wouldn't touch her. Fox Sports wouldn't touch her. And so, and then the other thing I found fascinating is that uh, the woman was quoted, the, the, the teammate of Leah Thomas was quoted saying that our coach just wants to win, that everybody on the team is being fake and uh, being very supportive of Leah Thomas, but they're all upset. And, and she said that the coach just likes winning. And so, you know, the coach probably has a chance to have the dominant women's swim team in, in, at, in the Ivy League, maybe gets a contract extension or who, who knows what, certainly gets some job security for having a good season. And so he doesn't care that the rest of the women on the team are upset and bothered by this. He doesn't care that he has this unfair advantage. That's what I find disappointing is that the coach, you know, the coach, he's got bills to pay too. Everybody here is in a bad spot, or a lot of people, are, because the media, the people that are, remember the media is supposed to be the voice of the voiceless? And that's what these female swimmers are, these other female athletes that are watching men come into their support sport and run them out. So that coach is like Herman Edwards. He plays to win the game. 
Hello. <laughs> let's, let's be fair about this, though. He has no other choice but to support it or if not support it, give a tacit endorsement by saying, well, look, we're doing well. Because we have to be very clear about this. If that coach came out and said, I don't like this, I don't want that individual on my team, he'd get canceled. So we, we have to look at this at, from a realistic lens that everyone involved that got into this, and, and this is the problem with opening up this Pandora's box, uh, sometimes you can't get the genie out of the bottle, and it's a never-ending cycle of decline. I wonder if we could ever get to a point where we have three categories, men's, women, and trans. <laughs> and just have, seriously, and just have trans teams. You know, they, what they do is just take it out of the football budget at these colleges and probably just cancel some more men's sports so they could pay for the transport. And, and that's the other thing I just can't figure out. We're making monumental changes to our normal standards and, and things like that. How many trans people are there? I mean, right. seriously. I, that's well, what that's I, I mean. What percentage of the population are there? I, I mean, literally, you'd have relay teams with really two people and maybe two teams. And that, that's, that's the other thing. If you want to have a unisex Olympics, I don't know if you'd have enough participants. But again, I go back to one of my original points. Megan Rapinoe, you always talk about fair playing sports talking about trying to get more money. You, you want to compete at the highest levels. But this is a subject that directly affects female athletes. You've been an advocate for this. Well, say something. Give an opinion. Give a fake one. It's just amazing how her silence is so deafening here. Well, she's a coward like a lot. All, all these guys got wet their finger, let it go in the air, and then pretend like they're being brave and courageous yeah. when they know – there's nothing but universal support for the positions they take. All right, let, let me switch to one of my favorite topics, or used to be one of my favorite topics. Uh, Tiger Woods is coming back to play. He's going to play in some golf tournament with his son. I think it's called the PNC. Uh, as, and I'm just telling you, Tiger Woods is my all-time favorite athlete. Golf is not my all-time favorite sports, but I, I, when Tiger Woods was in his heyday, I'm t I'd watch Tiger Woods over a Super Bowl. If the Super Bowl was going what? on and Tiger was what? playing in a major golf tournament, I would choose Tiger. If, <laughs> if the Super Bowl was going on and Tiger was leading on a Sunday in a regular golf tournament, I would have to flip back and forth between the Super Bowl and Tiger. Or I might choose Tiger. Wow. I, mean, I was a Tiger nut job. I'm over it. When, when I heard this announcement yesterday that Tiger was coming back to play, it didn't do anything for me. Uh, you know, I, I wish him well. I hope he's happy. I hope he and his son have a great time because I, I still have an affinity for Tiger. But I just don't, don't want to see him be a shell of himself on the golf course. And, and, and to be honest, I'm disappointed with the car accident. I think Tiger was driving irresponsibly. I don't understand why someone of that wealth uh, wouldn't employ a driver at that time. Part of me thinks that there was probably something a little shady going on in terms, you know, Tiger likes the ambient to slip. Anyway, I'm just kind of over Tiger. Still always probably going to be my all-time favorite athlete. He, he nudged out Magic Johnson. 
Uh, but I'm just kind of over it. And so that's the black side of Tiger speaking. Uh, what does the Asian side of Tiger, uh, <laughs> what do you got to say about Tiger? Jason, we are breaking stereotypes here because the Asian guy would have rather watched NFL preseason games over Tiger. <laughs> Honestly, I never was into it. I, I don't look, I'm not saying golf isn't quote unquote a real sport, but it was never for me. I always thought he was very robotic. I thought he was very contrived, had no personality. Um, and unlike a Jack Nicholas, he didn't really resonate with the working class values that I respected about the Golden Bear. I thought he was very relatable. I didn't think there was anything likable about Tiger outside of the fact he may have been the greatest golfer ever. But, you know, this story here, I'm not as harsh as you are. Um, I, look, I still remember Thanksgiving weekend of 2009 when he got into that first quote unquote accident in his own driveway. And in the beginning, I thought, wow, he really is an Asian driver. Well, it turned out he had a pissed off wife trying to get a nine iron on him. OK, <laughs> so, Jason, this story here about the father's uh, the father son thing. It reminds me of that old hip-hop song, a very obscure reference from Ed O.G. and the Bulldogs, be a father to a child. Look, he went through a nasty public divorce. Uh, I'm glad he's still in his child's life. You know, whether he ever plays again at a competitive level, at the world-class level, wh whether he ever wins another major, I don't really care. But I do admire him for the fact, at least giving a cosmetic uh, attempt, because I don't know how deep this really is, um, to at least be a part of his children's life. And I think that's important. I love your hip hop references because they, they become more and more obscure and it makes me get nervous. Like, hold on. Does Steve Kim know more hip hop than me? Does he know more old school hip hop than me? And maybe you do being out there on the West Coast. Uh, let, let's switch gears and move to the NFL. Uh, I know you have a thought about the rookie quarterback class which right now is being dominated by Mac Jones. Uh, but is that really Mac Jones dominating the rookie quarterback class or is Bill Belichick dominating the rookie quarterback class? Uh, I think there's a lot of truth in both of that. The, the thing I really like about Mac the knife is that he has a reliability. Now, look, is his ceiling as high as maybe the other guys like Lawrence Fields or Lance from an athletic standpoint? No. But his ground floor is pretty high in a sense that he's very reliable and he's safe with the football. Here's one thing I notice about him when the Patriots play. The ball gets out of his hands quickly. There's a very good, quick internal clock. So depending on the route combination and the, and the drop, whether it's a 3, 5, or 7, when that back foot plants, he's making a quick decision and he's generally very accurate. When I look at Trevor Lawrence, I'm like, Trevor, it's okay to just kill a play and throw it uh, in completion and move on. Justin Fields, very high upside athletically. I don't know if they're running the right system. So for Mac Jones, he's in the right environment, supported by a very good defense, strong running game, but he understands his own limitations. And this is the point I wanted to make, Jay. Uh, I was an admirer of Steve McNair, who ended up having a very good career, multi-time All-Pro or Pro Bowler, won an MVP in 2003, shared that with Peyton Manning. But when he came out of Alcorn State, where he passed the ball a lot, Jeff Fisher flat out said, hey, we're not playing him. And in fact, his first two years, he didn't even have a combined 130 throws. They kept it very safe, and they nurtured him. 
Unfortunately, those days are over, it seems like, for many rookie quarterbacks. And when I look at some of these guys, I just wonder, are they ready to play? Um, and that's the thing I like about Mac Jones is that Bill Belichick says, you're going to be my starter, but I'm not going to ask you to be elite. Because if you actually look at his numbers, Jace, he's pretty pedestrian in middle of the road in most of those categories. And that's why I don't think you should go overboard on Mac Jones. Bill Belichick may get to this offseason and draft another quarterback in the first or second <laughs> round or third round and challenge Mac Jones. Mac Jones, you know, I don't even know if his ceiling will be as high as Drew Bledsoe. I'm not down on Mac Jones, but I'm just like, Bill Belichick is carrying this guy right now. And then the other point you made that I would kind of push back on is like, you took a little shot at Trevor Lawrence, like just just take the incompletion and move on. Yeah. Well, you know it's a lot easier to do that when you got the Patriots defense on the other side, uh, and you know he's out there playing for the Jaguars, who are playing from behind a lot, and whose defense isn't shutting down the opposition the way that the Patriots are. So, you know, if Trevor Lawrence were playing for Bill Belichick, how good do you think Trevor Lawrence would look? I'm not so sure that much better. Here's the one thing about Trevor Lawrence that that a few people have talked about that really study this. His mechanics are not the best. In fact, they regressed at Clemson. And he's got amazing arm talent. I saw footage of Trevor Lawrence as a junior in high school as he committed to Clemson. And I said to myself, in three, four years, that guy's going to be a top five pick. But you take a look at specifically his last season or two after they won the national title his freshman year. There were games where he sailed a lot of balls and he wasn't the most accurate. Um, I am high on Trevor Lawrence, but I still think he's a work in progress. And, and Jay, the number one job of a quarterback, in my view, if you're not on a great team and if you're not counted on to be a superstar, you got to protect the ball. You got to protect the ball. And, and, and to me, I would tell Trevor Lawrence, Trevor, every pass play, think about having a grenade and you pull the clip and that thing's ticking. Don't let that ball blow up in your hand sometimes again i disagree with you the jaguars are actually playing some pretty tough games and their defense is scrapping keeping them close why not just have an incompletion uh, coaches will tell you sometimes an incomplete pass is actually a very productive play because it beats a turnover yeah I, I certainly agree with that uh listen one guy I, i've been proven clearly wrong on is Kyler Murray. I don't like short quarterbacks at all. I just, uh, you know, it's why I, I kind of somewhat like Russell Wilson because just over time he's proven me wrong, but he's never been one of my favorites because he's just, I like him 6'2 to 6'4. I think that's the ideal height for a quarterback. And so I, I don't like really tall quarterbacks. Quarterbacks over 6'5, six, 6'6 six, six scare me. That's where Trevor Lawrence perhaps, because yeah. then he like 6'5, I think. Yes. Uh, and so I, I, I just, Tyler, Kyler Murray was too short for me, but perhaps the Arizona Cardinals are the best team in the NFC, maybe the best team in football. What say you? Well, a couple things. The difference between Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson looks a little bit thicker physically. He seems more durable. I mean, even his injury this year had nothing to do with taking a tackle. It was just kind of a freak thing that happened to his hand. Where, where the Cardinals were really smart about this is that they understood that Kyler Murray's skills had to be matched up with a certain system or a coaching philosophy. 
So the Cardinals said, you know what? We're not going to put him under center. We're not going to run a traditional NFL offense. We're going to go full-blown college spread. And we're going to do a lot of things to accentuate his physical skills. And they got Cliff Kingsbury. Now, if, if they would have tried to have gotten a traditional NFL coordinators, and you all know the names that have been recycled for 20 years, it would have been a square peg to a round hole. Jay, there's no doubting Kyler Murray's effectiveness. But in every year he's been in the National Football League, there is a durability concern. That's the only thing that I worry about. And what did you and Marcellus Wiley used to say at FS1? Your greatest ability sometimes is your availability. And But I do give the Cardinals credit, though. They are 10-2, and two, and no one talks about them having the best record in the National Football League. They could put a dagger through the heart of the L.A. Rams and wrap up that division on Monday night. But that's the key. If they really want to make a deep run into this playoff, number one has to be available and ready to go and play some football in January. All right, let me ask you this question then, and because and, I'm being proven wrong about Cliff Kingsbury as well. I thought he would fail uh, in the NFL after his stand at Texas Tech. Who, who, if you had to bet on one being a long-term success, Murray or Kingsbury, which one would you bet on? Well, that's a great question. Because I think they're wed together, but it's either or. I'd say Kingsbury. Kingsbury's style of football is modern-day football. Jay, when me and you were growing up, when you were playing and I was watching, you had when, when a college ran a pro-style system, they were thought of, oh, wow, that's modernized. They're on cutting edge. Nowadays in the National Football League, look, everyone's going 11 personnel. There's no fullback, three receivers, and there's a lot of shotgun. That's really from high school and college. Kingsbury is actually now Netflix. And if you're running under center, you're basically blockbuster video. So I would say that Kingsbury is the guy because he's a coach. He's not going to get hurt per se. And he seems to be a very bright guy. Um, I would say that Kingsbury's style of football that he coaches, this is what it is now. And the problem with Kyler Murray is, again, he's one hit away from being right back on the IR uh, thank you, Korean Cosell. Uh, good job. Good job. Good effort. All right. Go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit those subscribe and like buttons. Damn it. I need more five-star reviews on the Apple podcast app. I need the five-star reviews. Click that five-star review. Do your job as a fearless soldier. Write me a little comment of some praise. Give a review of the show and a five-star review. I want a hundred five-star reviews added to the account today. I need my soldiers to do that. All right, Uncle Jimmy's just around the corner. See if he gives me a five-star review for uh, today's show. And we'll have an approval rating on Tiger Woods. Welcome back. Uh, my favorite part of the show, Uncle Jimmy's here to tell me how great I was today. Uh, I mean, I was fantastic. And so, you know what? Maybe I'll start just reviewing myself just to save you the work because I do such a great job on this show. What is there really for you to say about how I do on the show? 
Uh, at the rate it's going, Jason, it's not really a whole lot. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, your performance, honestly, man, words can't describe your performance today. I appreciate you saying that, Jim. Honestly, I, I had to pick a particular moment where I maybe ex- even exceeded your very high expectations. Well, I, I can't really pick out one, but I can just pick, for example, you, you spoke earlier in the show and you were talking about men that had pink and purple hair. Mm. You, you're talking about black men with pink. Who were you speaking of? I mean, were you speaking of Odell Beckham Jr. and DK Metcalf? Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, go ahead and put their names out there on it. I was actually talking about people. I, wasn't, I was actually thinking of white people in that instance, not athletes. Yeah, but I mean, I also, you, you said it, but they, they're just blatantly out there with that hair, so yeah. they fit in there. They, you they know, do. But you know, man, you was talking, man, and you, you used analogies, man, because I was like trying to get in the show, but you, you, you said, man, we live in a world where genital manipulation is acceptable. That, 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 that's where that's we've come there. We, we, this where we at? Pretty much. You know, um, instead of a parent being a parent and saying no, rather because a parent being upset of the backlash that he might get from his kid, he'll go, okay, well, if you want to go out there and dress like a girl, go ahead. Pretty much. You know, I mean, you, all I can say is you ain't gonna catch Michael Jordan like that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, your boy Dave Shannon. Yeah. Love Dave. Some of his best work today, I thought. He scared me at first, if I may be honest with you, because he came in and he was singing your praises and he said he was in bed with his wife and she was cheering for you. (laughs) (laughs) If that ain't grounds to say that man need to get the hell out of Idaho, I don't know what the hell is. (laughs) Oh, you may have to take that up with Dave and his wife. I'm just saying. I mean, that take a real man. You know, Jay, my wife was really cheering for you. Hell, that's some stuff he's never heard before. <laughs> that's pretty good. That was a good catch. I'm just, <laughs> hey, hey. I don't, I don't know, man. I'm just saying, man. Then you, then you brought your boy back out here, Steve Kim. Yeah. And I mean, I love Steve, man. But Steve be coming out. He be throwing them, them little references out there. He trying to throw Aretha Franklin. Hey, Jay, it's like Aretha Franklin. <laughs> if you're going to say Aretha Franklin, man, keep it real. Say it. He should have said, it's like Aretha Franklin, chain of fools. Because that's what's going on. We got a chain of fools going on around here, man. You know, uh, and I was listening to him talk. You were going R E S B E C T. No, man, chain of fools. Because that's what's happening. I mean, listening to this whole, yeah. honestly, this whole conversation today. You know, you're talking about if we had a, a sports, a, a transgender sports, how many people would participate? Let me be honest with you. You'd have a whole lot more than what you know. If you opened up and said you'd have a whole lot of brothers talking about. Oh, yeah, I might get in on some of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is. It's happening. I mean, on a very serious note, man, you and Dave were talking about this, and this is just for real because y'all touched it, and it's something that doesn't get touched in our community enough. You know one thing that most inmates have in common that's been incarcerated? One thing they have in common? Sexual abuse by someone in their family or someone they know. So that's one of the number one things that goes into our criminals of our criminal justice system. So everything you're talking about, when you don't deal with that sexual abuse in these young men and these, that's how we get to where we are. Excellent point, and I totally agree with you. Let's make it happen. Uh, Tiger Woods, you heard me just say, Jim, I'm off Tiger Woods, that my 20-year love affair has ended. 
And I think I can speak for Tiger Woods when I say he's never breathed better. <laughs> he's like, jeez, thought my leg was hurting, God. So uh, in job performance, you know, he hadn't played in forever. He wrecked his car and wrecked himself. You know, he's an all-time great, so you can only go so low as it relates to job performance, but I'm going to have to give him a 15. I give him a 25. He hasn't played in like a year, Jim. I give him a 25. Jason, do you realize the man took my advice? Remember, we told him he's not going to win another Masters. What did I tell him to do? Go play in a Masters mini golf tournament. I invited him to come play with me in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Remember? <laughs> but what he said, he said, no, I'm, maybe Uncle Jimmy's right. I'm going to take his advice, and I'm going to go play in this little tournament with my son. Hmm. Right, he did take your advice. Uh, character, again, I got I, the driving, the, the, this last car accident thing. I just, I don't like the way it was handled. I'm a little bit, you know, down on Tiger's character as well. I give him a 16 in character. I give him a 25. Again. Yeah. I mean, he's found his true character. He's realized that in life, he's found out that it's more fun to hang out with his son than hang out on a boat with uh, Jeff Epstein. Don't connect Tiger. You can't connect Tiger to Epstein. But it's better than hang out in strip clubs. That's what Tiger liked to do. Learn the same lesson I had to learn. <laughs> Just he learned a little sooner, but go ahead. <laughs> you know what? But come to think of it, if you'd asked my bust you upside your head with a golf club, you might have conformed quicker, too. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I needed. Uh, did we already do authenticity? No, we right here Authenticity. Uh, I'm going to give him a 20. I I'm think gi- Tiger's pretty awesome. I'm going to give him a 25 for the reason that you've been saying all this whole segment. I give him 25 because he stayed true to his culture. And he proved that when he wrecked his car, that Asians can't drive. <laughs> you, know, you need to say that when Steve Kim is on the show with you. When you say it behind his back, you look racist, man. I'm sorry. That's Steve Asian. Kim said Asians can't drive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, See, I'm sorry. Yeah, there you go. Stop the Asian hate. I'm part of that movie. You're right. Uh, it factor, you know, he's a broken man at this point. He's limping around. You know, I, I don't know if the lady, he's got that big bald spot on the back of it. He got the LeBron James bald spot on the back of his head. I'm down on the it factor. It's you know what? You, it's clear you need to keep living. You keep on living, you're going to go bald, and you ain't going to be able to go as long and as deep as you used to either, okay? I <laughs> give Tiger a 17, man. <laughs> Come on, man. He, Second part's already happened. <laughs> my hair does. Look, I mean, have you noticed? I mean, my hair looks real good. I just got a cut yesterday. I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I, I think that since, since because, you know, at one point you were bald at Fox. Yeah. I mean, you can't even tell that little toupee part that you got right up there. Man, that looks good. Yeah, don't even start that rumor. People have been trying to say that this is my hair as I dyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I dyed the gray out of it. This is my hair. Uh, all right, I got, a, I got him at an overall 68 grease fire. He's blazing, man. He's he, he, he's settling into his golden years in life, man. He's, blazing hot. That's a little strong. Man. Hey, man, he's, he's spending time with the kids, man. He's accepted the like fact, that. you know, give it to him, man. I honestly. like that. All right. All right, good job. You'll do that with your kids when you get 68. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. I just want to be. I just want to be.